Thank you for tuning in to Cop with Comic. I'm Brian Cop, and we're with Comic Will Carry. Will Carry, how the hell are you? I'm doing good, Brian. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Oh, it's doing, doing so cool. Thank you. So I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for coming on. It's cool you're on here, and I follow you here on Twitter. You are Comic Will Carry. And um, yes. on Instagram, you are willcarry23. That is correct. Well, and then here we can see the links to things like your band, which is Bright Ugly. And um, we'll talk about that in a second. But also, tell me about your podcast, Between Awesome and Disaster. That sounds hilarious. Uh, yeah, so my podcast is essentially like a, a one-on-one uh, conversational interview show. It's basically my version of... Uh, what I would want uh, a WTF with Mark Marin or a You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. I, I interview lots of, uh, I interview like creative uh, types about uh, their lives, the creative process, and uh, and, and on occasion like uh, um, mental health and like uh, personal uh, improvement comes up. I talk to lots of comedians, lots of musicians, and, uh, and voice actors. And so, yeah, why is it called Between Awesome and Disaster? Are you finding out that, you know, people's creative process can range uh, widely between awesome and disaster? Uh, the title comes from this, my, my thought that life is a series of moments that kind of pivot towards those two extremes. Yes. Uh, being you are awesome a genius, Will Carey. You are, you are a fucking genius. That is amazing. Did you come up with that, though? I mean, Between Awesome and Disaster, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's, some, that's something... Uh, I, I came up with, um, I was just kind of thinking of what would, uh, I, I guess maybe subconsciously I was like, what would a good name for a band be? And I thought that would be a approach that same mentality for naming a podcast. And I, I thought between awesome and disaster sounded cool. Yeah. And it's got a lot of like, I don't know the syllables work. It really is. It's like a, a musical uh, phrase between awesome and disaster. It's like a Rocky phrase or something. What started out to be a joke turned out to be a disaster. That's one of my favorite music. One of my favorite movies, Rocky Four. But also, Bright Ugly is kind of the same approach to naming. <laughs> you know, Bright and Ugly are kind of different ends of the the spectrum. Yeah, my my guitarist came up with my my band's name, so I, I'll give all the credit to my uh, guitarist Freddie Heineman for that. But I think that's kind of how we approach our our music. Also, is that again we kind of shift between these like uh these very like mel- melodic like shimmery kind of songs and then this kind of also aggressive like uh black sabbath influenced metal like 80s uh hardcore influenced punk rock stuff like that good well yeah at the beginning of this episode you're gonna hear a guitarist and that's my guitarist and so you'll have to uh, we'll have to share a bill at some point oh yeah that would be great man <laughs> i would love to do that yeah, and you're like, well, I haven't heard it yet, but once I hear the episode, I'll listen to the band. Um, but be- between Awesome and Disaster, you know, who have you had on, and you know, what what future episodes can we expect when we follow this Instagram account between Awesome and Disaster? Well, uh, this year I've I've been fortunate enough to interview a lot of uh, my favorite my favorite bands and lots of people from the the punk rock and alternative rock scene. Okay. Uh, this year I have. Uh, I've interviewed uh, Evan from the band Into It Over It, uh, Chris DeMakes, the lead singer of the ska punk band Less Than Jake, uh, wow. a personal a personal dream come tr- uh, a personal dream come true. Well, before I get to that, I also interviewed a uh, uh, guitarist and vocalist Tom May from the uh, the Philadelphia punk band The Menzingers, who uh, okay. have a a really great album coming out that I'm excited to listen to. Um, but a personal dream come true that. Uh, episode that happened this year uh i was able to interview um mitch allen who was the 
uh, lead singer of the early 2000s um, uh, band SR71, who are most famous for the song Right Now. But he's gone on to have a amazing career behind the scenes as a songwriter. So that was a really exciting episode because they were like my second favorite band ever. And they're from Maryland also. And I was, uh, I grew up in Maryland. So they've always had a special place in my heart. Good. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love the fact that like we can, <laughs> I was talking to Laurel Bacon Cummings and, you know, she's had comedians on like, you know, Sarah Cooper, Mark Norman and, and things like that. <laughs> it's like, isn't it cool that we can just start a start a podcast as an excuse to talk to people who are like our heroes, right? So, I mean, you must be like a pig in shit. <laughs> it, it, it was, it, it meant uh, a lot, a lot to me and it felt like a, a, a great sense of, uh, of, of personal accomplishment because like you're saying, when you start uh, when you start doing a podcast, you're you're talking to like people you you know, and the listens you get are people you you know. So to like continuously put in the work of editing, recording, promoting episode after episode, and then to get to a place uh, where you can have conversations with people that whose work has meant a lot to you, it's really amazing. Yeah, well, just know that Will Carey, you're my dude from SR71. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> I I appreciate it, Brian. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, let me know about, you know, what kind of comedy have you been doing? I see you have a rooftop show here, and you might have shared the bill with Mark Norman. Um, is that a show that you organize, organize, or is that just a show you got up on? Oh, that was well, the the Mark Norman show, the one in the parking lot. That was actually just a, a show I I went to to watch because I thought oh, cool. that lineup was going to be amazing. Um, since the since the pandemic has has happened, I've done a couple of uh, I've done a couple things in in parking lots, and I've also done a lot of in addition to doubling down on the on the podcast itself, I've done a couple of recordings for uh, Zoom recordings for like the the Queens Theater and various like online things. The Queens Theater, Queens, New York City has a theater. Yeah, it's uh, I believe they're. <laughs> of based course, it on... does. You idiot, Queens is huge. <laughs> like meaning, like yeah, I'm totally I'm playing the ignoramus here, but yeah, tell me about the Queens Theater. I have no idea what the fuck that is. Well, that they're located they're located I believe um and I might I might get this get this wrong they're located out towards the uh flushing like if you were to take the uh, seven train all the way to the end that's where one of their location is and they they've been they've been around producing like uh plays and and local and local playwrights for a number of years and that came about because my friend david lawson who is a storyteller in New York City? He reached out to me because uh, he's curating a bunch of uh, a storytelling series for them that's being yeah. recorded uh, during the the lockdown. Yeah. And I uh, and uh, he reached out to me and I told one of my stories from uh, it, it from not from my current one man show but from a one that I am I have planned. Okay, so cool, and it's a it's a comedy kind of story, right? Yeah, I always, uh, all of, whenever I do uh, storytelling, like, and when I say storytelling, I'm referring to, like, a long-form uh, narrative story that is told on stage. I always root it in comedy. There are some yeah. storytellers that take a more, like, uh, serious uh, or more, like, heartfelt emotional angle that you might hear on stories, like, from The Moth and things like that. But I always try to keep everything I, I do, even if it's storytelling, rooted in comedy. Like, I like to have jokes along the way. Uh, just because that's what I'm interested in and seeing that's what I'm interested in doing. Yeah, and is that a difference? Like I had Joey Rinaldi on and I was trying to get to the difference between, um, you know, a one-man show by a comic and a comedy set. 
And I guess is that because you're conditioning the audience that, yes, this story will be funny, and yes, there will be jokes along the way, but don't expect to laugh a second like you would at a comedy club. Uh, yes. I think uh, the way I like to distinguish the, the differences, I view, I always approach it like, nightclub stand-up comedy like what you would go and see at like the comedy cellar or uh like a showcase set where the focus is on jokes so your goal is to get as your goal is as many laughs as possible whereas when you're doing a storytelling show or a one-man show i approach it as more of like a theater piece whereas i can have funny parts but there isn't the i don't feel the pressure or need to hit laughs every couple of seconds if that makes sense Good. Yeah, that's like the the organizing principle behind this podcast. It's like, I, I think that you know I got the idea from Theo Vaughn because he was like, it's not a comedy podcast, and I was like, what? <laughs> you you have a comic host and a comic guest, but it's so cool that you could be like, no, it's not a comedy podcast. So if you want to go into things like personal growth, as you do with, you know, between awesome and disaster, you can. Like, it doesn't have to be somebody burning material on your pot. Oh, yeah, exactly. Because someone because if you're just going for material like you would on stage, it doesn't quite hit the same way because the 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 environment is is not the same. Yeah. You know oh, I mean? absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I might laugh at it, but it's not going to it's not like a whole theater full of people laughing at your every word. Like some of these comics, like I forgot who said it earlier today, but they're like, you know, some of these people, some of these great comics in parks and shit they're they're apologizing they're like oh this audience didn't like that that much and they're like no that was like some of the other comics are like that was a lot of laughs what are you talking about but because the comic is so far along and is so accustomed to tons of uproarious laughter in a club when you get 10 chuckles in a park that doesn't seem like it's hardcore laughter oh yeah exactly or (laughs) i guess another thing to compare it to would be um like if you were doing a like a nooner like at a at a community college like a couple of light chuckles is the same as crushing like Friday night early show. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause yeah, people are drunk during the Friday show. Exactly. Yeah. What's yeah. So I guess, I guess fr- Friday there are, they're kind of, they're starting to drink. So they're feeling good and they, they might like, what's the difference between a Friday, you know, early evening show and a Friday night is like late Friday night. Are they fucking sloppy drunk where they're going to laugh at everything? And it's more like crowd control at that point. Uh, late the, I've generally thought that, and seen through my experience that late night crowds are usually a little drunker. They're, of course, because it's later, maybe they're a little more tired. So you might not uh, find that the crisply like constructed setup punchline uh, material is gonna is gonna work as well as it did at the early show, where maybe the crowd is a little more lucid and is not uh, qu- quite uh, so much in the bag yet. Maybe the late night crowd. This is they're like third or fourth stop of the evening, which is the the cool thing about uh, New York City and the before times. And I do think we will get back to it eventually. Um, before times, I like that. Yeah. Ex- <laughs> um, whereas, like on on late on late night crowds, you might find yourself like uh, go, uh, improvising a little bit more, uh, going off script, interacting with the the crowd based on the the needs of the situation. I wanted to ask you since you brought this up, you know that um. I think Joe DeRosa has an album where he it's basically a double album where one album is the the set he intended to record and then the second is him dealing with like a sparsely attended really drunk crowd. That's a great illustration of the difference. That's cool. 
so he put out the double album. That's awesome. Yeah, I would think mm-hmm. yeah, if they're not as sharp or whatever, you could just do like extended act outs and just kind of become a character and do really well with that high energy stuff. But yeah, if you're expecting the, you know, them to kind of respect the rhythm of your setup punch, you know, they might not be sharp enough to do that. I like that. And then yeah, I have a quite like it looks here like you know it looks like for the band Bright Ugly you're a bassist and and I guess I want to know as a, a musical kind of fan, you know who who are some of the good bassists that we might know. Like you know you know the band has to be popular enough where we know who they are, but like who are some bassists that you respect and um, you know what's what's the role of a bassist in a band? Like are you trying to add flourish or are you really trying to hold it down? Like is your band so punk that you can't even add any flourish um that's a great that's a great question let me i want to make sure i I answer every part of that so to answer the the first part uh very very like very good basis that that people might uh listen to if if uh people are familiar with the band muse uh their bass player is has incredible technique and and can play uh, really intricate, uh, complicated bass lines that fit for the for the song. So I would I would definitely say uh, he's one. Uh, for my personal favorites in the in the punk world, um, Matt Friedman from the band Rancid is one of the best bass players in in punk rock. And I would also in that category, and not just because I'm I'm plugging another guest I've had on between Awesome and Disaster, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but Chris uh, Chris number two from the uh, punk band Anti Flag I think is another incredible bass player and the reason and and when I and and why I think those guys are great is that for those bands the they their bass playing can kind of become an integral part of the song because they use lots of scales and walking bass lines that kind of like do 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 kind of yeah. kind of stuff while the guitars just kind of like while the guitars chug chug away. Oh okay. So so they're almost doing all the work. In those particular bands, they their bass playing becomes kind of highlights and standouts uh, for the songs. The way, but if I can be completely honest, my favorite uh, bass playing and the bass playing I like to to do in my band, and also my favorite bassist of all time is a big influence on me is um is a uh, Mark Coppis from Blink One Eighty Two. If you listen to if you listen to Blink One Eighty Two songs, you might not think it's super complicated, but the simplicity and the little flourishes he he does put into those songs, I think, is part of what makes them great. So my favorite kind of bass playing, and, and I do this on a occasion in Bright Ugly, is I like to create a very solid foundation because my guitarist, so my guitarist can go can go off and have crazy lead and intricate guitar solos, but me and the drummer are holding down the the foundation of the song. And on and and on occasion, I do like to throw in like fifths or like little uh like little scale runs and stuff into songs because just playing the root note can get a little repetitive yeah but it's, my Lord. it's when it calls for it you're not singing too are you uh me and the guitarist trade off i i sing the song i generally sing the songs i write and he generally sings the songs he writes and is it difficult to sing and play the bass like the, the mark hoppus guy like he's he's a singer right like it's surprising that he's a bassist i forgot uh, yeah, he's the the bassist uh, and one of the vocalists. And again, the, he trades off with uh, with the guitarist, uh, he, who used to be Tom DeLonge, is now uh, Matt Skiba. Um, when I first started learning uh, to play guitar and to play bass, doing both at the same time, I found incredibly challenging. Uh, what makes it easier is just uh, pract- is just doing it a lot and practicing because it ev- eventually it becomes m- muscle memory. 
Yeah. And so, and I suppose if you're writing it, you can also make the bass line conducive to your singing. Like you make it a little bit simpler uh, where you're holding shit down. Exactly. Yeah. And then, yeah, explain to me, like, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, like the complex of bands that is, uh, you know, a Jesus Lizard and uh, Faith No More and Mr. Bungle and, and Tomahawk and things like that. And they always talk about the rhythm section of Jesus Lizard and I guess Tomahawk. You know, can you explain rhythm section to me? And I guess it encompasses more than than bass and drums. It probably also sweeps in things like rhythm guitar. Um, you know, what's the role of a rhythm section in a great band in general and a great pop punk band in, in specific in particular? Uh, specifically for, for for punk, and I think you can apply this to, to music in general, is the the rhythm section, meaning the bass player and the drums, uh, like, like I said earlier, they're forming the foundation of of the song so they are more or less keeping the song together and and keeping it from devolving into either a complete mess or or free jazz so <laughs> so as long as the, a complete mess or free jazz like the fine line is a pretty fine line right <laughs> it, it, exactly so as long as the the drummer and the ba- and the bassist know the song and are, are are in and are in sync with each other then the guitarist and the, and the singer have the freedom which to to play on, on over top of that because they have this the rhythm section holding down the format of the song essentially right and so like how can somebody like flea or whatever be part of a you know storied rhythm section i suppose and still do a lot of flourishes because he's playing a couple root notes and then he's doing a flourish like it's a fill like the, fl- the flourish is a fill where he's holding down the shit but then he's so fast and good that he can, in the groove, add a flourish in between uh, root notes or whatever. Well, with for for Flea and uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, another key part, and this is something I've I've I learned about is um, a lot of times the basis you're you're when I say you're keeping in sync with the drummer. So, example, you might play a root note you might play your root notes when the drummer is hitting the kick drum. So, if uh, Flea is hitting that like that bump that low like bump bump before he does a slap yeah. that's where he's keeping in in sync with the row note and he's staying within the pocket of the groove yeah and so he's timing his flourish so that he still you know provides enough of a root, a root note enough of a foundation so the root notes are kind of the foundation yeah ex- exactly because your root notes when you're when you're playing when you're playing a song that's gonna be that'll effect effectively be the home you you come back to so yeah. if you're even if I'm doing like a walking baseline in a in a bright ugly song, I know I'm gonna even if I'm like way over further down on the neck, I know I'm coming back to this like C sharp uh, to to G sharp progression. So I know the framework that I can work within. Yeah, and I guess like I've had exactly one informal bass lesson with a former bassist of mine and you know i'm just a singer or vocalist or whatever and you know my vocals are pretty heavily treated and in, in, in our current band the guitarist you know who i've been with for decades is just one of these guys who practices 10 hours a day so he's just one of the faster motherfuckers you'll ever hear yeah, yeah but um but his brother was one of the ones who uh who did this 30 minute bass lesson and and i have to i'm just asking this for my own fucking edification for my own joy i'll be able to laugh about this with my guitarist afterwards will carry i want you to i want you to fucking tell me the truth at any point in time during your extensive bass education have you been exposed to something known as the cycle of fifths 
I've heard the circle of fifths. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So the circle of fifths. Okay. So that's something that you kind of what you 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 have in mind, so you know where, you know where you can even, you know what notes are even possible in a certain song. You have your circle of fifths. Correct. That's the very, the very rudimentary music theory that I do have because I've I'm I've never like taken very formal like uh, music lessons. The circle of fifths. If 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 anyone is listening to this and you're like starting to play guitar or an instrument. If you can at least grasp that concept, that you'll that'll be incredibly helpful for you. Yeah, one, I, I, well, it's good to hear that. It's really good to hear that. It's kind of like in your half-assed bass education, at the very least, you should try to come into contact with a circle of fists. That that's a that's incredibly helpful. The other thing that really helped me as well, and this and this makes uh, learning an instrument a, a lot more a lot more fun. And there's uh, there are a lot of apps and stuff that so it's easier to do this nowadays. Um, but if you find songs that if you have songs that you really like, you can learn to play them. And then once you have learned to play them, you can grasp why that song works the way it does and why you like it so much. And that's another really fun and more, I think, more entertaining way to grasp musical concepts as opposed to just like flipping through theory textbooks if, if that's not what you're into. Yeah, you're like ah, oh, in the circle of fifths, the the first, fourth, and fifth are the are the most natural sounding of the the circle of fifths or something. Yeah, but if you can like say, but if you can like uh, approach like like I don't know all the small things. That's a pretty simple song. So the 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 basic the basic chords of that are are C up to uh, an F uh, an F chord and then down down to G and then you do a little scratchy scratchy sound and then you're back on on the f so if you can think so if you think okay if it starts at c and then because i'm approaching the circle of fifths i know i can go to these chords generally and it'll sound melodious it'll be in key or whatever and, right. I, and I guess yeah and it's so funny that i set it up perfectly and i was like cycle of fifths and you're like circle of fifths and i was like there it is <laughs> <laughs> that's the half-assed bass education that i had 20 years ago and yeah so bringing it back to comedy you know I want you to to draw me a straight fucking line, a short straight line between Will Carey the comic and Will Carey the bassist. You know what skills do you do you have that kind of serve you well in each, and and with, and how are they different? You know, like and 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 I guess in in terms of and I talked with Kevin Escobar that Kevin Escobar about this because he was a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, nerves, stage fright. You know, I would think it's it's far less when it comes to things like music because you're hiding behind a bass you're hiding behind a wall of sound people can't heckle you during a song because the fucking music's so loud yeah, give me the straight line between will carry comic and will carry um bassist uh well will carry the the comic has definitely i think helped the this stage presence and and stage charisma of will carry the musician for sure because after you've after you've bombed uh, a couple of times uh, as a as a stand up um, and and lived through it and realized okay that that was unpleasant but that wasn't I the lived, worst I thing. lived through it that's funny then then yeah you can it's very much easy uh, it, you you there's a certain kind of fearlessness that comes from uh, to approaching being on stage after a couple of uh, experiences like that. I will also say the a direct line between my me as a comic and me as a, a musician um, and particularly to to being to loving punk rock and and its related genres is is uh, is is economy of of what uh-huh. I'm I'm doing. So my favorite comedians are 
like set up punchline one-liner kind of comics that's what i i started uh i was influenced by like so mitch hedberg dimitri martin um uh stephen wright uh and then later on even going back to like the like henny youngman and and comics like that from like the borscht belt era so you know how how like thinking of constructing jokes what's the fewest number of words i need to get to the fun the funny part and make this joke as as funny as I can make it, which when you translate that to punk rock, punk rock is three chords to the point, sh- shorter songs generally compared to like uh, to compared to my my former roommate who's been on on your show Kevin Frolix who's very into folk yes. music and and progressive rock. Yes. Um, what is the the fewest number of of notes uh, that What's the the three chords I need to make this song great and get people into it? Yeah, yeah, and I love that because you know that your heroes in pop punk have already done it. They've already taken the three chords and made that you know, like one of your favorite songs or whatever. And I love Kevin Frolix and and I love your point too because even Pearl Jam when they said they were you know when they added a keyboardist and, and Eddie picked up a guitar and things like that, they they said that they had more space. Like and you're like really more space and it could be because each person was like I only have to chip in the essentials. And, and that's so, so fucking cool. So economical, fearless, Will Carry, and we follow him. Will Carry Instagram, Will Carry twenty three Instagram, and there you can find his between awesome and disaster Instagram link, but also his link tree. Um, but also at Twitter, then you can find, and that's comic Will Carry. You can find his link tree, but also uh, the awesome ED Pod, which is between uh, awesome, awesome and D-Pod. disaster. Say that awesome Pod. <laughs> Awesome D pod, not awesome E D pod. Yeah, awesome D pod because it's uh that's the between awesome and disaster. But you can also see his link for bright ugly. So Will Carey, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Brian. This was really great.